Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. I want to ask a very basic question of you all. Are coaches still allowed to yell and scream at their players? <laughs> well, well, we'll tackle this topic a little later on in the hour. But first up, I, I want to conclude with some more thoughts about Operation Varsity Blues. Now, not surprisingly, there was a tremendous outpouring of feedback from last week's uh, last uh, Sunday show regarding the college admissions scandal. And if there was one common denominator that kept bubbling up over and over again, it was the concern about slotted athletes and how they were given special preference by elite colleges. Now, from my understanding of college admissions, Slotted athletes are those student-athletes who are chosen by the college's head coach in a particular sport, and then the coach presents his or her list of slotted athletes to the admissions committee. And in many cases, these are athletes who routinely do not have comparable grades or board scores as the other highly qualified applicants. But these slotted athletes do have that special or unique talent as an outstanding athlete. And the theory goes, and there may be some hard evidence to prove this, that if a, a college's sports team teams do well, then more and more proud alum will pony up and donate more money to the school. In other words, if we have top-ranked college teams, then more and more alumni will give money, and if the school is a real powerhouse in that sport, there's a better chance to appear on national TV and not only get paid for the TV rights, but also... Uh, receive invaluable national exposure for the school. This is why top colleges, let's say Notre Dame or Duke, they all have top football and basketball programs. But make no mistake, these highly sought athletes are slotted by the college coach and are given special consideration by the admissions committee. Athletes who are considered as recruited walk-ons are not slotted, but the coach does present them to the admissions committee as athletes who they like very much to have admitted as well. Now, in the Chronicle of Higher Education, a very prestigious uh, publication which deals with, obviously, academics, 
Uh, this past week, there were a number of uh, articles about the so-called elite, co- elite colleges in the country, and they were asked specifically about the scandal from the admissions uh, situation and whether or not they would have this would have an impact in the way they changed their admissions policies involving student-athletes. Now, curiously, the vast majority of those elite colleges who were interviewed by the Chronicle, they chose not to respond to that question. I found that more than a little curious. And some schools, like, for example, MIT, well, they did talk. MIT, which, by the way, if you aren't familiar, it's Division Three, of course. It's one of the very, very best Division Three athletics programs in the country. Well, they said flat out, no, we don't slot any athletes. Everybody who applies to MIT has to have superior grades and superior SATs, no exceptions allowed. Now, you should also know that the top colleges do the same kind of slotting for top musicians or artists or other highly talented or unique students. I'm not sure it's called slotting, but those individuals don't necessarily have the same grades or board scores as the other applicants as well. And I'm sure that if a, and I don't think a college would ever admit this, that if a kid comes from an extremely affluent family that might make a substantial donation to the school, well, I'm sure that's taken into consideration as well. So, is any of this fair? College admissions officers say they need to make these special kinds of exceptions in terms of athletes, musicians, artists, whatever, in order to have a very uh, balanced and diverse class, to round out the class, so to speak. That is, who wants to attend college where there are no unique students who excel in art or music or athletics? Now, of course, others claim that making these kinds of slotting exceptions has the impact of denying other academically qualified students a spot in that class. And perhaps in a more perfect world, an admissions officer, I should say admissions office, would be run by, let's say, artificial intelligence. That is, robots and machines would accept only the very best grades, SATs or ACTs. And if that happened... Well, the chances are there won't be many top athletes or performers or musicians being accepted. And certainly no one would be admitted who just happens to have parents who have a lot of money. I want to just, you know, conclude this stuff before we move on to yelling and screaming at athletes today. one 337 6666 This is the questions we're, that the college admissions folks are now having to face. Are they going to change their admissions policies? Let's... Um, Let's start with Harry up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Harry, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, how are, how are you? Good. Hey, how are you, Harry? So, MIT's are unique. To keep them out, MIT's like, and why they're unique is they say exactly what they say, but and they do what they say. But these big universities, the the, the pay scale for the coach that makes five million dollars, and the coach says, "Hey, get this kid in." And then you got people making thirty, forty thousand uh, dollars a year. They're making it happen. And then the coach, goes, oh, I never knew. And that's the same. And same with this soccer coach at Yale. They say, oh, what a great soccer coach. See what he was getting paid. And then he was seeing what these rich donors, these millionaires, billionaires, coming to the college, dropping money for their kid to go there. Because in reality, all a kid needs is a. Uh, uh, in my day, it was a 600 uh, college board to get in. Right, but they at least at least they're doing it the right way. They they're donating the money to the university to expand themselves. But the university 
isn't paying these mid-level people that work for them. They're mean, not, and these people aren't staying. They pay the very top teachers, and of course the sports, the very, sports people, but they don't pay the administrators that. You I know no, what I'm saying. I hear what you're saying. Is as a former college coach from many years ago, I can tell you that I was not paid especially a lot of money to be a head uh, college baseball coach, um, and I hope that times have changed over the years. However, um, I do know, and I mentioned this in the show last week, that in some pro- some uh, schools, particularly uh, those schools that have been enriched by major TV contracts for football or basketball, college basketball and college football, that that's trickled down now to the coaches who work on the so-called non-revenue sports like like soccer or track and field or tennis, and those coaches make pretty good income these days. They're making six figures uh, just from their salaries. So it is still inexpensive. And I have no idea what Rudy Meredith, the, the former coach at Yale uh, women's soccer, is making, but it's just inconceivable that a, a, a college coach would be so tempted to take that kind of money and to basically dash away their reputation and their career uh, because they felt they either, I don't know, they felt they were entitled, that they could get away with it. It's just, it's really wrong. And, and Harry, thank you for your call. You know, the fact is, as we said last week, people are going to go to jail about this. There's no question about it. And that's that's the bottom line, particularly uh, if you're a college coach, you got to think about what, what your actions are going to lead to. Let's go to uh, Jimmy in Asbury Park. Jimmy, good morning. You're on the fan. Yeah, hi, Rick. Yeah, um, so I... Um keep the book for my uh, son's varsity baseball team. And uh, so this year, I see some of the kids from last year are on major D1 programs. And I go on their bios, and I see listed in the bios uh, stats from their senior year that are wildly inflated. You know, you, you, oh, so-and-so batted 450 with a, you know, 600 OBP and all this. I don't think a lot of these colleges uh, know what these kids are actually doing in high school, or they just accept whatever the kids tell them in terms of, you know, their performance. I, I, I you know, and this is not just one isolated case. This was several kids, uh, that I see, and, and, and I wonder, how, how do these colleges know what they, you know, these Jimmy, kids are they, actually doing? They, they don't know. I'm glad you brought this up. This is a topic I, I've always wanted to talk about for a number of years. It, just like there's great inflation, <laughs> there's inflation with, with, with high school stats as well. There is no way for any college coach to ever double-check this stuff. Uh, you know, everybody, every kid today is either, you know, all-league uh, all county, all state. I, I don't know how. For example, New York State. I don't know how many all state teams they have. How many different you know levels or tiers? But it, I think it runs into fifteen or seventeen or twenty. There's twenty all state teams. How can that be? I mean, I don't understand. Exactly, Does everybody yeah. make all state? And if you're a college coach and you're recruiting, you just the first thing you do is you look at the kids' stats from high school and you say that's very nice. Thank you for this. But you can't ever rely upon the stats. You don't know who's who's. As you say, who's keeping the book? Is it some kid who's uh, who's just doing the, the stat checking? Who's doing this? If you're a college coach and you're recruiting, you have to go watch that kid in person play, because yeah, maybe the kid's stats or achievements can maybe a nice. Oh, this kid has a pretty good resume. But then you got to go see for yourself because if you don't see for yourself, and I can say this as a former college coach, you don't know what you're buying. I mean, it's as simple as that. You got to go make sure right. what you see is true. 
And it, it, it leads to, um, you know, the question, well, how come so many D1 athletes uh, are either, uh, you know, cut uh, or, uh, you know, the coach tells them to go uh, make up an injury in red shirt your first year or, or they, they transfer? I mean, some of it is, is the, the fault of the college coaches not knowing what they're getting, just like you say. Uh, Jimmy, uh, I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's, it's really – Caveat emptor, if you're a college coach, and I know a lot of days we talk uh, this with the, the advent of money ball and laptop scouting and, and you know, pro ball, they, they look at a kid's uh, stats and then we'll actually see the kid in person, you're making a huge uh, leap of faith and many times it doesn't, it doesn't pay off. You have to go watch the kid because the stats really, unfortunately, have very little impact because you just don't know. I mean, I can tell you, and Jimmy, thanks for the call this morning. It's an excellent point. The, 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 I can recall sitting in the uh, selections uh, when I was coaching at Mercy College and sitting in within the conference about who's going to make the all-conference all team. And this is at the collegiate level. And I would sit there and listen to my colleagues talk about this kid and, you know, this kid should make the all-conference team. And I'm thinking, gee, that kid never impressed me when he played against Mercy. I mean, we, we played him two or three times a year, and maybe the kid didn't do anything that, that day. But according to that college coach, he was exceptional, you know, spectacular. And I always scratch my head and think, how, how, who's really keeping the books here? Who's, who's touting this stuff? How reliable are these actual stats that we make decisions on when it comes to uh, you know, making all conference team or all this or all that? And I think particularly at the high school level, uh, because everybody is so eager to have their kid get a plaque or an award or a trophy, whatever it might be, uh, to be named All-League or whatever, we know that stuff is inflated dramatically. And again, as a college coach who recruits, you got to be careful what you're looking at in terms of just going by the numbers. All right, let me take a, a timeout. When I return, we'll finish up with this topic about Operation Varsity Blues, and then we'll get into the whole idea about our coaches today. Are they still allowed to yell and scream at And welcome back to the Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Uh, right now, we're just going to wrap up this conversation about the college admissions scandal. As I've said before, uh, we're just getting uh, – this is just the tip of the iceberg. People are going to go to jail on this. Reputations have been ruined, uh, both with parents and both coaches, admissions people, and on and on. Let's, uh, let's take some more comments on this before we move on to coaches yelling and screaming. Let's go to Brian over in Ledgewood, New Jersey. Brian, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. How's it going? Hey, Brian. Hey. Yeah, 18 years ago, my wife handed me a flyer with a picture of you on it and told me, you go down to Milburn High School and watch this guy speak before you ruin our son <laughs> and his whole ba- his whole youth sports <laughs> experience. Yeah. And I appreciate that. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about the major money grab that's going on also between the recruiters and, and some college programs. Yeah. And I, uh, personally, I know this because even – this past summer, being at a baseball showcase with my son, who's going to graduate this year, and a uh, after the showcase, I was contacted by the man who ran it, who said he would represent him and he could get him into a bunch of Division One schools. <clears throat> um, I wasn't interested in paying the ten thousand dollars that he was asking to do it. Whoa! So yes, and. Uh, so a short while later on social media, my son mentions a kid that uh, committed to a school down south and says, I was way better than this kid, and he happened to be. Yeah. A little little further look into it, this was one of the lucky six that this fellow represented, 
and actually got him to onto this roster, which you never know what's going to happen later on, but it just turns out that there's an extreme amount of, uh, of fraud going on uh, where people have contacts and they are getting people, uh, you know, into schools. Maybe they'll never play. Maybe they'll get cut. Um, but that, you know, that aspect of it is still going on today. And I think, you know, one of the, the major um, sides of it is if your son or your daughter is really belongs there and in that school, they're going to, one, they're going to apply and they're going to hear back from admissions. And two, you know, one of the greatest feelings in the world is when they get that text message or that email from a coach saying, I saw you here and I would like to get you down to our school yep. and talk to you about our program. Well, Brian, first of all, um, uh, yeah, 18 years ago in Melbourne, New Jersey, um, I'm, I'm glad I didn't screw up your son. It sounds like he's a pretty good ball player. Um, <laughs> but, but, and I, I'm glad you also mentioned this because people don't think this happens in their neighborhood or their neck of the woods. Yeah, there are people out there who, who will come to you and say, you know, I've seen your kid. He's pretty good. I think he can go D1. If you pay me $10,000, I'll be sure he gets into a lot of colleges and so on and so forth. That's exactly, of course, what we're talking about here, and it's unscrupulous. And I would caution parents uh, to take your story to heart and just say, look, if your kid is that good, if he mm-hmm. or she is that good to to merit real interest from, from uh, college coaches, go that route. You know, you don't need a middleman to have to go and pay them to, in effect, represent your son or daughter to get into a top college. That, that's, that's wrong. That's, if anything else we, we take away from this college admissions uh, scandal, this is, that's exactly what we're talking about. So, Yes. Well, Brian, yes. Th- thank you for the call, and uh, best of luck to your son. It sounds like he must be a pretty good ball player. I appreciate that. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right. Let's, take care. Let's move on. Let's go over to uh, our friend Ed over in Elizabeth. Ed, hi there. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good, Ed. What about uh, well, what about you know your thoughts on this college admission stuff? Well, again, you know, I I've coached in situations where we've had uh, admission standards where we're able to get certain players in. Like for example, when I was an assistant baseball coach at Fairleigh Dickinson and Teaneck, we had what we called Edward Williams College, which was almost like a mini junior college on campus, where if they couldn't get get in by the academic standards of the school yeah. to get in, in that route, and yet they would still be on target to graduate and all that. Uh-huh. But uh, even like in the uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference, for all their sports, all, all the teams usually special, have what they call special admits. It's just a matter of when, uh, how many each team is allowed, and that's predicated basically by the athletic department of each school. So I don't see anything wrong with that, provided that they're not, way off base in their academic standards. You know, you just don't want to get anyone in if they're not going to do the schoolwork because then, then, then it leads to, uh, you, know, you know, especially with the graduation rate on a Division One level, you know, that, that, that could affect it big time and all that. And I have to tell you, I think every uh, college administration right now is going back and reviewing all of their policies just to make sure things are above board and airtight and there's no uh, secrets uh, being harbored. Uh, you yeah, know, because I think that's the prudent thing for every college to do uh, at at the Division One, Division Two, and Division Three level, because that's where we are these days, um, and we just have to make sure that okay, if we're making uh, you know kids giving them a special admits, we better make sure that's all uh, legitimate and fair, and nobody's taking advantage of it. It's as simple as that. Well, and I do think that well, I, you know, go ahead, Rick. 
and again, the coaches are aware of that also. But well, I want to make one more t- comment before you go. Yeah. About your next topic you're going to talk about. It's time to take the training wheels off the kids and let them grow up. And, and you know, if coaches are going to be tough about it. I, I totally understand. I'm a tough coach myself. You know, if, if you can't take it, then, then you shouldn't be playing. I'm not saying be a Bobby Knight and uh, put your hands on the kid and all that stuff, but there's nothing wrong with, with a little tough love. And I'm gonna, at Elizabeth High School, they have a basketball coach there right now who's outstanding. He's one of the elite coaches in the state. Yeah. He took over a program this year who the past four years won only a total of 12 games. Well, he came over from Linden High School. They went 26-2. and two. He's probably one of the toughest, tough love coaches in the state but he gets the job done. So my point is this. If, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little tough love coaching. I hear you, Ed. <laughs> I hear you. Hey, thanks as always. Good talking with you, Ed. Take care. Uh, you know, and and uh, let's get into this uh, because, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk this past few days about Tom Izzo at Michigan State, who was obviously caught on national television reprimanding a freshman player. Uh, Izzo, of course, is legendary. He's very, very successful uh, at the collegiate level. Uh, and right away, people were saying, well, is that the right way for a, uh, a college coach to be talking to a kid uh, in March Madness? Um, and then just uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, there was an incident with uh, Iona coach Tim Kloos reprimanding one of his star players. Again, that was caught on television as well. So the question is this. We already know. We already, it's a given. We know this. If you're a coach, I don't care if you're you know, at the college level, high school, travel team, whatever, you know you can't at any time put your hands on a kid. You just can't do that. There'd be no physical contact whatsoever. But are we at the point now, and Ed was talking about this a minute ago, that you're, the, the tough love approach of yelling and screaming that you can lose your temper at a kid, uh, either in practice or in a game, are we, are we, have we reached a point now where that's no longer allowed, or do you have to wait till you're in private with the kid in the locker room or off to the side, and then you can lay into him and say, look, that was really stupid play. I thought we worked on this. Don't you paying attention? I mean, apparently in Izzo's case, he was yelling at this kid, Aaron Henry, who apparently was not, in Izzo's opinion, not hustling back on defense uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a major playoff game. Is a coach not allowed to do that? Uh, and that's that's what I want to talk about. Let's uh, let's talk to um, Corey from Greenpoint about this. Corey, good morning. You're on the phone. Hey, good morning. How are you, Rick? Good, Corey. I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the screwballs out in Staten Island. We're headed to our fantasy baseball draft. I'm with my buddy Teg. Hey. But okay. Thanks so much for taking the call. Yes, uh, sir. You know, we just wanted to talk a little bit about Tom Izzo and uh, you know him yelling and during the basketball game, and, and, and really, we, we don't have a problem with it too much. Um, you know, during the passion of the game. I do. He, he does, but I, <laughs> I don't. And during the passion of the game, you know, you, you're in battle. You know, you're, you're trying to win a game. This is in a corporate environment where you're, you're suiting ties on, and, you know, you need to be politically correct. And obviously the environment that we're in right now is, is really tough, but – you got to think that passion is involved in coaching. And, listen, he's not hitting anybody. He's not Bob Knight. And Tom Izzo has such a long-lasting um, tenure at Michigan State, 25, 30 years. He's been so successful. Give him a break. Well, again, you can make the same case about uh, Bob Knight being successful at Indiana all those years or at Texas Tech. Same way you know, Mike Rice at Rutgers. I mean, it goes on and on. The question, Corey, is – 
you know, is, have we reached a point, and, and thank you for the call, you know, the, the, the question is, you know, have we reached a point now where you coaches can't or shouldn't do that? I mean, particularly, for example, in this day and age of, of parents who obviously watch over so closely with their kids playing sports, the fact is, if it's okay for the coach to yell at kids, but he can't yell at my kid. Because my kid is sensitive, my kid doesn't respond to that kind of in-your-face motivation. Have we reached that point now? Simple as that. That's uh, let's talk to uh, to Louis from Long Beach about this. Louis, what do you think? Louis, you there? All right, let's move on. Let's go to um, Marcello up in Westchester County. Marcello, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you? Good, Marcello. What do you think about this? Um... Well, I think it's gone a little too far, and I think it's something that's going on in society overall. Yep. I'm a former former retired uh, police officer, and I was in the military, and all of those uh, professions have changed to this kinder, gentler society. You can't yell at people in basic training. You can't yell at people in the police academy. And it's all intended to develop a stress environment to help you cope in the future. If an athlete can't get yelled at, there are going to be situations in a game where they're under a stressful situation and they're not going to be able to do it also. But it's just something that helps develop people to to face certain situations. Marcel, this is an interesting perspective. You're saying that uh, you come from a background in the military and from the police and the, the difference there is that these days it's no more in-your-face drill sergeant kind of approach, intimidation. It's more about let's talk about a more holistic approach to, to the individual. Uh, I mean, you're saying that's the way they that those how those disciplines are now being taught, and you feel the same thing. Should they happen are. With, that, that should happen with uh, with intercollegiate or with high school sports as well. No, I'm saying I don't. I do not think it should happen. Oh, I see. I do not I think it should happen. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it it detracts from just the development of the people in stressful situations. People don't know how to react anymore in a confrontation if they get yelled at because right. it doesn't happen anymore. They're not allowed to, to be talked to in a, in a firm, stern manner. Do you think, Marcelo, that parents... Uh, when their kids are probably, let's say, I don't know, uh, seventh or eighth grade and they're playing sports or playing travel or club, that the parents should say to the youngsters, you understand you may end up playing for a coach at some point who might scream and yell at you while you're on the field and it's going to hurt your feelings or whatever. Should, is that a parental obligation to talk to their kids and say, if somebody yells at you, don't get hurt, just respond? I, I agree. Yes, I do. I think that would be it. I think that would be the thing to do. Interesting. Okay. Thank, hey, Marcelo, thank you for those thoughts. You know, that that's what I come back to in this day and age. You know, yeah, I mean, I come from – look, we know this gets to a whole debate about old school and new school types of coaching. Obviously, when we were when I was growing up, if a coach yelled at me and I was doing something wrong or doing something stupid, you know, it hurt your feelings. You know, it made you feel – made you withdraw. But you also realize that – Perhaps the coach had a pretty good point. Uh, these days, I'm not sure if a lot of parents are going to respond in a positive way if they see their the kid's coach yell and scream at their kid during the course of a game. That's going to send off some uh, alarm bells and saying, is this the best way to reach my kid? Uh, let's go to uh, Tom and Oldbridge. Tom, what do you think? You're on the fan. <clears throat> Tom, go ahead. 
Hey, Rick, how you doing? Tom from Oldbridge, uh, long-time listener. Uh, I just want to say, you know, it, when it comes down to a mental mistake, you know, at the college level, the high school level, yeah, you've got to get on your kids. You know, but these clowns that are coaching third and fourth grade travel when a kid makes a physical mistake, missing a layup or a foul shot, that's what's ruining it. That's what's making all these people uh, call in and say the guy's out of control. Yeah, Tom, that's a fair point, and I think you're correct. I think a lot of the, the uh, you know, I didn't say all of them, but a good number of the youth volunteer coaches at the younger levels think that uh, that's the way you coach kids, uh, that you have to yell and scream at them when they're just actually learning the sport and learning to, you know, to try to develop their skills and master their skills and to be yelled at by when you're in third or fourth grade doesn't make any sense at all and has a real, a real negative impact. And that's one thing where I think the youth coaches need to be reminded over and over and over again, put a smile on your face, accept the mistakes the kids make because they are going to make mistakes. Your job is to teach them not to basically uh, uh, ostracize them or, or, or humiliate them. I agree. Tom, thanks for the call. Correct. You know, and, and I think Tom makes a good point. You know, yeah, it's one thing perhaps when you're yelling at a kid, maybe, you know, like a Tom Izzo is yelling at a kid in college. You know, that's one thing. But when you, you, don't, you don't yell at kids when they're, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old. They're just still learning the sport. And, and all they will respond to is a negative and harsh words. You don't want to do that ever. All right, let me take a timeout. 1-877-337-6666. Radio.com. Hey, don't forget, at 9 o'clock this morning, Ed Randall will be here. And, of course, Ed will be talking baseball. And also, don't forget, on uh, April 3rd, I'll be at Mawa High School over in Mawa, New Jersey, uh, talking about the kind of issues we discuss here on the show on sports parenting. Uh, 7 o'clock, again, uh, that's April 3rd. It's a Wednesday at Mawa High School. Hope you come by and and we'll talk. Uh, Right now, we're talking about whether or not the ground rules have changed about coaches being allowed to be uh, loud and yell and scream at their kids. And, and you know, we, we know, and I think the, just before the break we mentioned this, obviously at, at the youth level there's no reason ever to, to yell and scream at, at kids who are just trying to learn the basics of the sport. Uh, they're looking for encouragement and they're looking for patience. I think that's a given. I think everybody agrees upon that. gets a little tricky when you get to be in high school or travel and club, and I think we have to make a distinction here, a couple of things. One is, you know, profanity – and that's not been brought up yet, profanity is not allowed at the high school level. I mean, you talk to any high school ref or umpire or official, and they'll tell you that profanity is, uh, is grounds for rejection from a game if a kid uses it and certainly if a coach uses it. So right away, profanity is off the table. You can't swear at any kids during the course of a game. The other distinction I would make also is that you have to understand that if you're going to be allowed and yell at kids, you've got to be careful as to the words you use. In other words, you, you, you can't ever get personal with a kid in the sense that if you want somebody to hustle back on defense, uh, yeah, hustle back, yell, get back, get back, move back. You can't then add, come on, what are you, lazy? Are you stupid? No, you don't. Once you make cross that line into accusations about lazy or being stupid, now you've, you've crossed the line. And that's where parents understandably get upset as to a coach's behavior. So I think these are the kind of things we have to bear in mind. And, of course, we've already put that as well. You, you can never physically touch a kid or grab a kid. That, those days are long gone. Let's move on. Let's talk to our friend Jack Smithlin, Hall of Fame coach from Fairlawn, New Jersey. 
Jack, I'm sure you have some thoughts about this. <laughs> yeah, Rick, I do. Um, first of all, you know, the rules have changed, but the rules should never have been changed. They should have been this way years and years ago. You know, kids react differently today because they're not yelled at as much. But, you know, with entitlement and all of this, I was never, I was a yeller, but I never reprimanded a kid or embarrassed the kid or put a kid, you know, in a situation. When that gentleman talked before about the way the military and the police force train, I ask a question. Would those policemen that are the cadet, are the drill sergeant in the Army or the, or the sergeant in, in the police force that are training by yelling and screaming and, and trying to get them to understand, would they react the same way in a real-life situation? Mm-hmm. And I'd say no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't react that way. So, you know, what they do, that's the old rule. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So once that kid leaves that academy or that soldier goes out, in the, it's, it's not the same. It's, and kids today, they learn differently when they're under stress. They actually don't learn when they're under stress. They don't react the right way. You know, you want to reprimand a kid for doing something wrong, take him out, sit him on the bench, walk over and speak to him. But to reprimand in front of people, to embarrass a kid, you know, real quick story, and then I'll, and I'll let you speak. But I was working with a kid the other day in, in, in one of the batting cages, and there was a club team, three cages, you know, to my right. And a kid was up at bat, and the kid said to a little kid, I'm telling you, maybe nine years old, eight years old, and he said to the coach, you're throwing too fast. And that coach stopped the practice yelled and screamed at this kid. And this kid walked off of, out of that cage, sat down on a bench, and cried her eyes out. Now, you know what? That coach just lost that kid. That kid's gone. Now, there, would there have been a different way to react to it? Definitely. And when you talked at the beginning of the show, have the rules changed? Yes, they have. I don't like, I don't like the football mentality, and I apologize to all football coaches, but I call it the yelling and screaming mentality. You don't need to do it. And as far as back to Ed, okay, I think it was Ed, said tough love. Well, you know what? Let's take it the other way, Ed. Let's go to, let's go to the winningest basketball coach in the NCAA who never raised his voice, never said a swear, swear word, John Wooden. This guy never, ever reprimanded or embarrassed one of his players in front of anybody. So in my eyes, don't ever yell or scream at a kid. There are other ways to treat it. Uh, Jack, Thanks, Rick. Thank you, Jack. And I, I think the, the one really solid takeaway there is has to do with the fact, and I think this is something that I think coaches have to understand, and of course parents as well, and that is that kids do not learn when they're under duress or stress. And if a coach is yelling at a kid, uh, you know, as Jack related with the, ki- the, the kid in, in the batting cage uh, being uh, basically yelled at by the, the coach, uh, kids don't learn when they're being uh, stressed out. That's a time where you, it does take some patience and some time to explain how to improve or how to, how to make the transition, how to make the adjustment. But just screaming and yelling it doesn't work. And I, I understand, of course, that we can talk about the, well, you under, during the course of a game, the heat of the battle makes a difference. Well, yes and no. Again, I go back to the way you, you, you would work this happen. If you're going to scream and yell, you got to make sure you do it in a certain way 
It doesn't get personal. It doesn't embarrass. It doesn't humiliate your player. That's the last thing that you want to do. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, Max out in Port Washington. Hey, Max, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Rick. Uh, great show. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I was a two-time All-City, All-State basketball player in the early 80s. Okay. I had a high school basketball coach, famous high school basketball coach, I don't want to say his name, uh, who was a yeller and a screamer, championship game, game we should have won by 20 points. We, we actually lost. He embarrassed me in the first quarter. Uh, I didn't hustle on defense, my, my fault, but he embarrassed me to the point where the ref came over and said, if, if you don't cut it out, I'm, I'm throwing you out of here. And he lost me for the game. He lost me. My next three, our next three possessions, I turned the ball over. So he took me out of the game, and um, we lost. We lost by 15 points, a team we should have beaten by 20 points. But I was the best player on the team. We lost the game. And after that, I quit. It, that just didn't work for me. I played with the traveling AAU team. And you know what? I, I had 120 scholarship offers. I, I, was, I was a really good player, but I couldn't play for that guy. And that, that doesn't work. It does, I mean, it didn't work for me, so it doesn't work for everybody is my point. Well, Max, I, I'm listening to the story, and my, my jaw started dropping because, again, this happened back in the 80s, you said, a long time ago, championship right. game, and apparently you were a pretty, pretty talented basketball player, a lot of scholarship offers, and your coach, you know, and maybe he was right to have done so. I mean, I wasn't there, obviously. The, even you admit that you weren't hustling back on defense, but for the official— right, Rick. The official will come to your coach and say, you know, you got to knock this off. You're, you're really getting out of hand here. That sort of speaks to how severe the, the uh, you know, the, right. the yelling and screaming was. But, but Rick, uh, my AAU coach didn't yell and scream at all. You yep. screwed up. He took you out of the game. He sat you down. He pointed out your mistake. He got so much more production out of me. It, it was so much. I, it, you, 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 I couldn't play under stress. Maybe some guys could, well, no, but, but I wasn't going to be embarrassed that way. It just wasn't going to happen with me. And you know what? I, I, I quit. I didn't play. That That was my junior year, and I didn't play my senior year with Amoeba. That Max, was it. Th- this is exactly what we're talking about here, that uh, the coaches, and I like to think that in this day and age, in the year 2019, a lot more coaches are at least aware of the fact that Every individual on that team uh, has different ways of re- reacting uh, to their coach's uh, direction. Some guys have to be, as you said, are like yourself, don't appreciate being yelled and screamed at. That's not going to make them better. That's going to push you into uh, in sort of more, more of like a corner, and you're not going to respond. Other kids do need a kick in the butt. It really depends on the individual. And I do think more and more these days, uh, high school and college coaches are are coming around to that perspective. Didn't happen that way in the eighties. In the eighties, hey was... Rick, what, one one quick thing: what what would have been so wrong with Tom Izzo taking this kid out of the game and saying, "If you don't hustle, you're not going to play." Hey, kids want to play. You're not going to play <laughs> well, if you don't play defense. What's wrong with that, Max? That that's, that's down. I, I was going to say every coach knows, including Tom Izzo, that the the bench is his only weapon in the sense that absolutely every kid that wants to play and, and play in the game. And if you're not hustling back on defense, you say, here, time out. I'm putting this kid in. You come out, sit on the bench. Do you know why I took you out? And you say, right. the kid says, no. He says, well, because you weren't hustling on defense. Now, I think in hindsight, Izzo, who's obviously a, you know, a Hall of Fame coach, would probably agree he should have done that rather than losing his temper. Now, that being said, he had a lot of his former players and current players defend him for what he did, but I do think – from a from again away from the heat of the battle, 
Izzo should have been, you know, should have realized, all right, I'm going to take the kid out of the game, and that's how it's going to play out. And certainly don't make a big deal about it because it all backfired on him and put him in a poor light. It makes the kid embarrassed and so on and so forth. It, it was really kind of an awkward spot for everybody involved. And, Max, as you said, some kids just don't respond. The way to do it is a, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's and, terrible. And, and it's- I, you know, it's, it's uh, as I said, I think we like to think we've evolved more from what it was, you know, back in the 80s. Max, thank you for yeah, the call. Yeah, but hold on, real quick. Draymond Green defended Izzo, but he was the first one. He flipped out a, a, a half dozen times when Izzo yelled at him. <laughs> so, you know what? So, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt. I, 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 I don't say. get that. Yeah, he's work. <laughs> thank thank you, Max. Good talking to thank you. Thank you, sir. You bet. And, and, you know, Max, again, he's he's uh, exhibit A of somebody who said, at having a coach yell and scream for me, and he, he admitted I was not hustling a defense in a championship game, but it didn't work, and it had the – the overall ripple effect of Max just, you know, not playing basketball. Apparently he had a lot of offers. He was a great AAU player. But he said that one thing sort of crystallized in his mind from 30 years ago, and it cost him a chance to continue with his his love for basketball. It's as simple as that. And, again, that's what we're talking about here. Coaches, you got to really pay attention to your behavior, especially in this day and age, and how what you say and how you act and how you make things happen uh, in, in the field uh, during the game and also in practice as well. All right, let me take a pause. When I return, we'll have more calls. Stay with me. Radio.com. Radio.com. Friends, let me just remind you, let me talk to coaches for a second here. And I apologize. I've run out of time this morning. I can't get to more calls on this very important topic. One, first of all, coaches, profanity, as I mentioned, certainly not the high school level. That's not allowed. Uh, and secondly, I think we all have to assume in this day and age, you got to understand that assume if you're coaching, everything is going to be recorded. Everything is on videotape. Somebody somewhere has got a phone or a camera. They're watching what you're saying and doing. And that's kind of an impact in terms of your kids and the way you coach. And the last thing is, again, use your, if you want to really tell a kid what they're doing wrong, use your, the fact that playing time is your greatest strength, your greatest tool. Take the kid out of the game and then explain to them on the bench why they didn't, they've been removed from the game. Get that as a time, as a, as a chance to explain to them what's going on, what's going to happen, what they have to do to get back into the game and improve their, their approach. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Pete Kennedy. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I'll see you next week right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.